Sometimes when I've had a bad day at work, I go to the airport. I hang out in the departures terminal. I hide behind a pillar and use a small megaphone. I announce, for instance, Detroit, gate 11. The Surgeon General has determined that cycling is good for your health. The people seem befuddled. Final call for Atlanta, gate 14. Climate scientists have determined that if you keep on flying, humankind will be extinct in less time than it takes to say the word visioconferencing. When there are enough people who stop looking at their cell phones and I have their attention, I say, for instance, Madrid, gate 7. The temperature in Madrid is 120 degrees. Muy caliente. It hasn't rained in Spain for six months. There are currently 21 forest fires in progress, and not one of them is under control. Enjoy your flight. But if you're traveling to the Democratic Republic of Congo, however, proceed to the harbor to take a seaplane, because the Democratic Republic of Congo is entirely flooded. Sometimes I put a small remote-controlled video camera on a tripod, and I shoot short films. I love the expressions on people's faces. Anchorage, boarding, gate number two. No snow in Anchorage. The very last patch melted away last Friday. The Surgeon General and the IPCC wish you a Merry Christmas. When I've had enough of that, I go downstairs to the arrivals terminal. I stand at the gate and hold up a huge sign that says, Welcome Climate Refugees, followed by a list with thousands of names on it. Last Tuesday, a bunch of people from Pakistan walked up to me with half a ton of luggage. Now they live in my house. Great company. Whenever I go to the airport, they want to come with me and stop the planes from taking off. Baltimore, gate 12. Do you really need to go to Baltimore? Welcome. This is Buffy Drink. My name is Bobo. I'm your host. And uh, I want to tell you, this episode, it just might sound a little different than the others. Can you hear it? I think it's uh, something to do with our metallurgical disposition, our academy-worthy alchemy. I'm talking about a huge award that was just bestowed on the Big MD. Muffy Drake has been notified by the National Audio Theater Festival's 
that our work that you're listening to right now is worthy of a platinum award. That's right. Can you believe it? It almost sounds like one of our stories, but this is no joke. We won the award for an episode called Muffy Drake Adieu, but you listen to one episode, you pretty much get the drift. How can I explain this? The NATF is like, uh, oh, it's like the, the Sundance of audio fiction. And Muffy Drake, we're like uh, Ed Wood with a cassette tape recorder. Seriously, our outfit is so small, we hold company picnics in the park in Paris with one basket, and one blanket, and four bottles of, uh, mm, you know, 1958 Chateau Lafitte. Anyway, Muffy Drake is honored to now join the ranks of really some of the most accomplished folks in the recording industry doing their thing. So, what is our thing, you ask? Well, if you're a first-time listener, I'll tell you. We basically like to tell absurd short stories one right after the other in a in a match grip style it would piss buddy rich off but ginger baker would forgive the transgression as long as we played in a syncopated fashion it would make gene krupa smile because we kept it tight in the pocket you know what i mean a jelly bean Okay, coffee break is over. Back to the assembly line. Hey, if you like our show, please feel free to share it with, uh, I don't know, 10 million of your closest friends. It's always a numbers game with this racket. You know what I'm talking about? The, the more downloads you have, the better your chance for survival. It's a jungle out there, I gotta tell you. You know, downloads are like oxygen tanks for the deep sea divers like Muffy Drake who, who dare talk on the wild side. So, please don't leave us gasping for, for air. <laughs> One more thing. Thanks for listening. Oh, gee. Oh, God. Sorry. Couldn't resist. Catch you on the back end. Paul Bell, please play us out of here. Get us back in the show. I like to jog my memory. I know my 50 states. I know the countries and the capitals of the world. I know all my friends' phone numbers by heart. And I increase my French vocabulary a little bit every day. Now I'm learning the list of popes. Yes, it's challenging. Very challenging. But I have a trick. I learn fun facts about them. It makes it easier. Thank you.
For instance, Pope Paul VI, fun fact, issued an encyclical in 1968 to condemn artificial contraception. Now, you would be a fool and possibly a heretic to see any connection whatsoever between that encyclical and the women's lib movement in the 60s and 70s. Gregory XIV made gambling on papal elections punishable by excommunication. Who knew people gambled on papal elections in the first place? The popes are at the gate. Five bucks on Marcellus to win. Fifteen bucks on Clement to show. Ten bucks on Benedict across the board. Listen, if you want to have gambling, it has to be done in an appropriate way. In a proper establishment. Capiche? It has to be organized by someone who sets the rules and makes sure they're observed. We talked about this. Did we not talk about this? Speaking of Benedict, fun facts about Benedict XVI. On August 6th, 2000, he published the Dominus Lazus Declaration, which affirms the superiority of Catholicism above other Christian and non-Christian confessions. Nice move, right? Wait, there's more. He labeled gay men and lesbians as, quote, objectively disordered, and wrote that same-sex sexual relationships were, quote, intrinsically evil, unquote. It's impossible to overstate the damage Pope Benedict XVI has done by refusing to recognize the most basic human rights for LGBTQIA people. Rest in peace, Ben, you modern, tolerant, peace-loving, empathetic, forward-looking, ecumenist you. But back to good old Gregory XIV, the Pope who banned gambling on papal elections. Well, listen to this. He revoked the papal bull of Sixtus V and ruled that abortion was a sin only after the animation or ensoulment of the fetus. Hmm. Abortion a sin only after there's evidence of the fetus being animated or having a soul. Gregory the Fourteenth, fifteen thirty-five, a pope who was probably sympathetic to victims of rape and/or incest. Fun facts. Padre, I come to you with harrowing compunctions of conscience, deep anxiety arising from awareness of peccability and remorse. But I cannot help myself. Humor is a force stronger than me. It is a malady. It thrives within me like a virus. 
If I have offended anyone, I sincerely apologize. But truth be told, I was only reporting the facts. Fun facts, yes. When asked whether you can joke about anything, the French comedian Pierre Desproges once famously said, Yes, you can, and perhaps you should, but not with anyone. But again, my intent is not to offend. Certain popes, not all of them, not the aforementioned black sheep, as it were, but certain popes in history have been truly remarkable. John Paul II, or Pope Francis, to name but two. Pope Francis, a caring, generous, and kind human being who displays genuine sympathy and spares no effort to advocate peace and love, which is what we need in this day and age. So let's not throw out all the popes with the holy water. Oh, sorry, the humor is resurfacing. I must apply myself to the betterment of my mind. She wore a yellow beret. I didn't know why. I didn't ask. She was sitting alone. Why bother her, I thought. There's always a story about why people do what they do. Perhaps, I thought to myself, she's maybe somehow involved with those yellow vests and this was her way of showing solidarity or maybe she's the secret head of the yellow vest that's probably it and they they waited each day to see if she'd show up in that park and on the days that she wore that yellow beret that was the signal the sign of what was gonna go down that weekend well maybe Maybe she turned her apartment into one of those aviaries, you know, with hundreds and hundreds of flying canaries. We've all heard of cat ladies, you know. Old women who take in strays until their living conditions uh, become a health hazard uh, to them and the cats or birds. But I think that's why she loved the color yellow. It reminded her of those birds that she had back at the apartment. But then, you know, I started thinking. She didn't look like she was from here. I mean, she really looked different. Almost not human. Like she was from another galaxy sent to our planet to check things out. You know, see with all these human beings living in this big apartment called Earth, would it be safe for her people? If that was true, I admired her. In a way, she was like that canary in the coal mine, you know. The coal miners would take a canary down into the bowels of the earth, and if the air was bad, and that bird died. 
They knew it was time to come up and get out of there. Just then, she killed over. She did a face plant, and I mean she dropped dead on the spot from her perch on that chair. Meow. <laughs> Meow. I'm thinking to myself, we, we killed her. Our, our planet killed her with... You know, with, with all the bad air and water and... Ow. I'm just thinking, great. That's just great. Her people probably already have a cure for cancer. And now they'll never come. <laughs> Frank, Frank, 
tank is gone. So fine, I need some comfort food to get me through. Is that so wrong? Does that make me mental? I found some comfort in donuts. Does that make me nuts? Am I crazy because I'll eat a whole box in one sitting? Am I cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because I name each donut? And I, and I dress them up like they're in my production of, of guys and dolls. So I, so I have to go see a shrink because they are lousy actors and can't cut the mustard on the small stage in the box. And either will not or cannot take simple direction. I mean, how hard can it be, lousy donuts? I told them all, you suck at acting. And I'm the only Tony you will ever see. So get over it. So, uh, you're making progress. You're doing much better. Much better. Making progress, yes. I, um... Oh, look at the time. Yes, I, I think I need to go to lunch now. So, uh, we'll see you next time. And, uh, and don't forget to work on your assignment. Dirty fucking Shanghai, Frank. I'm in the kitchen making my breakfast, and there's a fly on the window. While the coffee's brewing, I watch it skate up and down and left and right and get stuck in the corners as though it was remote controlled by an invisible force on an Etch-a-Sketch. I bet kids today have no idea what an Etch-a-Sketch is, but there are no kids around now. It's just me and the fly. I can't actually hear it because of the coffee machine. I wonder what it's thinking. Or rather, what it feels like doing. Instinctively, that is. I pour myself some orange juice. Does it think it can escape by going through the window? Get real, buddy. Experience in the last minute or two has shown that's not going to happen. I stare at the muffins in the cupboard. My daughter probably ate the last cinnamon one yesterday, so I'll just have to go with banana. Maybe with its little beady eyes it can see what's going on outside, and it's calling its buddies for help. <laughs> Telepathically, that is. I'm not a big fan of banana muffins. Never have been. Or maybe it's trying to scroll a pattern on the window, like an SOS. I should text Steve to ask him to go paragliding again, like we did last fall. The coffee's ready. 
fly still stuck on the window. But I can hear it buzz now. A few sips, and I head out the front door. The fly has sensed the fresh air and followed me out. I watch it scur away until it's out of sight. Then I get into my car, and I'm off. Off to spend another day at the office, stuck on my computer screen. That is. You've been listening to the Muffy Drake Podcast. Muffy Drake is a Franco-American production based out of Paris. The Franco is Xavier Cole, and the American is Jim Hall. Now, as a casual observer to this alliance, I've always wondered how they parse the significant difficulties inherent in these two distinct and unique cultures you know, coming together to create a sort of a, a melange, a audio amalgam, if you will. It sort of transcends the obvious geopolitical difficulties between them. You know what I'm talking about. Velveeta cheese. That's right. Velveeta is the camembert of the Connecticut Yankee in Cannes. French don't know what to do with this culinary canard. Is it really cheese? What process creates this wonder? Born over a century ago, what immortal hand or eye dare frame its fearful symmetry? And I'm going off on a slight tangent here. Could it be a block of Velveeta cheese taunts the French like a Kubrick monolith, daring them to pair it with a wine? Yes, yes, but of course. The stupid Velveeta question, again. C'est pas possible. Qu'est-ce qui peut nous gonfler avec sa question sur son fromage chimique dégueu On croirait du caoutchouc ou du plastique. Franchement, c'est l'horreur. So, the wine, I don't know. Château Petrus, 1983. Gevray Chambertin, 2013. 2013 is young, yes, but it's a Bourgogne. It's a wine from Burgundy or, I don't know, maybe Château Cheval Blanc, 1937. But that is very expensive. Uh, no, wait, I know. For you, a Mad Dog 2020. That would pair exceptionally well with the Velvita. But why on earth do you always bring this up? Excuse the pun, but Jesus Christ! This is really annoying. C'est vrai, quoi. C'est pas possible de nous embêter avec ce truc-là en permanence. Ah là là! Got it. Merci beaucoup for doing me a solid. But, uh, you left out the year of the wine. Well, that's, that's okay. Obviously, somehow, this Franco-American bond cannot 
be broken over a food fight. Well, it's time to head back into the kitchen and cook up some more stories for the next episode. Until then, au revoir, amigos. Thank you.